Psalm 110, a Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out to Zion, out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the head, heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up, he shall lift up the head. Just lay, it down. Just lay it down there. Be good. Thanks, Scott. So, Psalm one ten is the most quoted passage in the New Testament. Did you know that? It's a big one. Um, what's the next verse say, Bryce? All right, First Chronicles. Now, here, here's the story, and I got to tell you a story because this psalm covers pretty much the whole Bible. If you get Psalm one ten, but it's it's connected to a couple other passages. So here's how it goes: in in First Chronicles seventeen, there's a story, and I couldn't tell you the story any better than it's written. So I'm going to read it to you in a little bit. It's a great story about David who wants to build a house for God as though David's got something to offer God. And God basically turns around and says, oh yeah, watch this. I'm going to build you a house. You'll see it when we get there. <clears throat> but after David received this blessing from the Lord God Almighty through the prophet Nathan about his house, he then began to pray and to praise God. And from that, we have two psalms that were written. One is Psalm 110, and the other is Psalm 118. I think they're in the notes in the bulletin. But I'd highly recommend, just for the fun of it, that you read those a couple times this week. Because if you read these three passages, you pretty much have the whole content of Scripture, the whole story, the whole pattern is in there from... Uh, the womb of the day when the creation started all the way to the end. So it's it's worth, if you want to study, that's a good three chapters to read. And as Scott just read, Psalm 110 is not that long, seven verses. Psalm 18 is a little, 118 is a little longer, like 25 or 6. But So here's the story. David, he was up there in his cedar house, and he was all big and thinking about God and getting all religious in his mind. He thought, man, I'm going to do me a big one for God. So here's how the story goes. And Bryce will follow along as I read this. I might embellish it a little bit in my own fashion, but it's just important that we get this story because this is big. So it came to pass when David was dwelling in his big fancy house there downtown, David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in this really nice house. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under uh, tent curtains, canvas. Nathan said to David, Oh, go do whatever's in your heart. God is with you. Now, have you ever done that? 
I mean, you get this holy thought, and all of a sudden it's like, God bless me, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, Nathan didn't ask the Lord about it, so here's what happened. So, verse 3, but it happened that night, the word of God came to Nathan saying, now look, Nathan, here's how it's going to be, here's what you go. You go back, you tell David this, and erase what you said a little earlier, a little bit in too much haste. Go tell David, thus says Jehovah, the Lord, the everlasting one, all caps, Lord. You shall not build me a house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day. But I've gone from tent to tent, from one tabernacle to another. Whenever have I moved about with all of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Did the Lord ever say that? No. He didn't care about a house of cedar. It's not on his wish list. Verse 7, Now therefore, thus you, Nathan, shall say to my servant David, thus says Jehovah, the ever-living one, and his whole army with him, I took you from the sheepfold, you, David, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a name like the name of the great men of, who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move to... Yeah. And move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Now, so Israel's going to be in a place and never move again. Has that happened? I mean, it was pretty good when Solomon and David were running the place, right? But where's Israel? They're all over the world. And they have been for a long time. So part of this hasn't even come true yet. What Nathan is telling King David, part of it hasn't even come true yet. But nonetheless, this is the promise that he's making. There will be a place for Israel, and they will no more move. They're going to have a homeland. What happened in 1948? Yeah, they started to regather back in the homeland. Then uh, back in 2018, I think one of our presidents moved the embassy and all that back into the city of Jerusalem. There was all kind of shouting and screaming about that. That was a wonderful thing. Israel becoming a nation again. But they still are wandering. Well, anyway, verse 10. See the time that I commanded the judges, since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I will tell you that the Lord will build you a house. So let's get this straight, David. I'm building you a house, as much as you want to build one for me. Let's get the focus right. And so often we do that. We think, well, we're going to do this for God or that for God or the other thing. And we, we fail to humble ourselves and take a really good look at what God has done for us and to be aware of that. And that is so much more important than any of these really big ideas about building a mansion or a super ministry or a super whatever for God. He's not impressed. 
He doesn't need to be him. All he wants to know is, are we looking to him to preserve us? And that's what he's telling David. I'm going to build you a house, David. Verse 11. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, after you're long dead and gone, when you must go to your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you. David's going to have a greater son. The Messiah, who will be of your sons. So later when Jesus asked the Pharisees, Now, Christ, whose son is he? They answered, David's son, because of this passage and several others. But they said, David, he's going to be the, David's son. That's where this comes from. And he says, I will establish his kingdom. Now we're talking about this Messiah guy, not David so much. But in that we're talking about the Messiah's kingdom being established, aren't we talking about King David's kingdom being established also? Because he is David's son. Okay, verse 12. He shall build me a house. Wait, now who's building the house? The Messiah. David's son is going to build a house. And I will establish his throne for how long? As a long time. And I will be his father, and he shall be whose son? And who does the my refer to? Lord God Jehovah. Now wait a minute, I thought he just said it was David's son. Do you realize what this passage is saying? That the Messiah will be both man and God when he shows up. It's taught in the Old Testament, the deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, Son of God. There he is. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will take, I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. That would have been King Saul. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever according to these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. It's a good idea, Nathan. Well done. I mean, God is telling you, you better just go say what God said instead of making up your own happy stuff and pretending you got yourself a good religion going. You better do it God's way. So in Daniel 7, you know, this was written, like, Chronicles probably written somewhere around 1000 B.C. In uh, Daniel 600 B.C., Daniel said that I had this vision, and the Ancient of Days showed up, and then the Son of Man showed up before the Ancient of Days, and he received an everlasting kingdom. It's 714 or so, 1314 in that area. Some 400 years after this prophecy. And the Lord God told Daniel that this was going to happen. And then in Isaiah, which was, what, 740 B.C. roughly, so within that three, four, five hundred year period of time, now Isaiah's saying something, and he says this. Look, you want a sign there, king? The Lord will give you a sign, and a virgin shall conceive and have a son. His name will be what? What's his name? Do you know? Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is exactly what Chronicles 17 says. This is going to be the son of David, the son of God, the everlasting one, the ever-living one. And it's just huge. 
that in the Old Testament it is taught that the Messiah, when he comes, will indeed be the Son of Man and the Son of God, Jehovah's Son and David's Son. And so at the end of Psalm 2 it says, Kiss the Son. Well, you have time, because if he gets angry with you, you won't have any ground to stand upon. So David said then in uh, verse 16, well, maybe I better pray about this. And listen to what he says in this prayer, which again, fits the whole pattern of things related to who Jesus Christ is. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house, my family of David, that you have brought me this far. Have you ever thought about that? Where were you before you knew Christ? How far has God brought you? How far has Christ brought us? It's amazing, isn't it? It's like, I don't even know how I got here. But do I deserve it? Not really. And that's what David is saying. Yet, this is a small thing in your sight, O God, and you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come, long after I am dead, and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant, O Lord. In other words, Lord, you know me. What can I say? But you know, what, what's about the only thing David can say is thank you, isn't it? Doesn't that fit the New Testament pattern? I mean, what are you going to get up there and pray for a couple hours and get on your knees and wear a hole in a rug or something and get all holy up inside yourself when all God really wants is us to look up and say thank you once in a while? Just become a little more real in his presence. What can David say to honor your servant for? You know the servant. Oh Lord, verse 19, your servants, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. Oh Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, one nation on the earth? Just one nation yet of whom God went to redeem for himself a people to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out the nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel very, you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever. So here's a little bit of a pronoun problem. Is David talking about the Messiah or is David talking about David in this prayer? Because the Lord has given David a great house. And yet we know that the Messiah, from what Nathan just told David, the Messiah is going to build a great house. But yet both are true, aren't they? Because the God-man, the Son of God, the Son of David, both are true. So when you get into a passage like this, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, David has someone sitting on the throne forever. As you have said, 
So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is the Israel is Israel's God, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O oh my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. And there is a house being built. What did Jesus say in John 14? I'm going to prepare a place. He's building something. Peter says, we're all living stones being built up. The Lord Jesus is doing some, some building. He's building an eternal house. It, it all fits the pattern. It's a forever house. And your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. Good idea, David. If you're going to pray, spend your time praying before the Lord God Almighty. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. But you know that goodness has come to every one of us in Christ Jesus, David's greater son. The, the same goodness. It all works into the same pattern. Now, you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, and it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. If God blesses it, it will last. So that gets us to Psalm 110. Do you see why that passage is important? It's a great story. I want to build a house. The Lord says, no, I got this. You are going to have a son, the God-man. So David, in his praise and his glory, he wrote Psalm 110. We'll run through this real quick. Psalm of David. The Lord, all caps, that's Jehovah, said to my Lord, the small letters there basically means the master or the boss. But he said to the Lord, which is Messiah, God the Father says to his son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Some of that hasn't happened yet, but the psalm goes on as though the Lord is still talking to the son, the son of his right hand. Verse 2. The Lord, the ever-living one, shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion to rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, Zion is the place where Jesus died, is buried, and rose again. It's the place where he ascended into heaven in the clouds. And it's the place where he's going to return to Zion. But yet, is there a rule in Zion that looks to us like the Messiah, the Lord God Almighty, is ruling from Zion. Not really. But we know that Christ accomplished when he first came as Savior Messiah, that he occupied that. He started, but they rejected the great king. So there's still a day coming when verse 2 will be fulfilled, when Jesus himself will return and rule from Zion. Verse 3. Your people shall volunteer in that day, in the day of your power, in the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Now, here's something for you theologians. Volunteer means free will. It means willingly. It means spontaneously. It's like 
the Old Testament teaches free will. That they see something and they respond to it. And there's a day coming when the people of Israel will willingly run to it. It's going to be the day of his power. And it's going to be the day when he returns to help deal with Israel. It'll be the beauty of holiness. It'll be the day when they look and they see that this Messiah who just returned to the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14, has been pierced in his hands and his side and his feet. And they're going to look upon the one that they pierced. And they're going to recognize him as the son of David, the Messiah, the son of God coming in power. And in that day, they're going to run to, there's a day coming when Israel will just flock to the Messiah. They're going to see him. Somewhere between then and what happened 2,000 years ago is where you and I live. We're in this little church thing right now where we're living in between the time when he came and was rejected and the time when he comes back to deal with Israel as a nation. And David is writing about all this. He doesn't have a clue about the church age or what's going on with the church. He just knows the Messiah is coming and he's going to do something very powerful. And from the womb of the morning... Um, you have the dew of your youth. Do you know what that means? Exactly. Nobody does. Every commentator out there says that's the toughest passage in the whole Bible. That None of them have any clue what it really means. And they all want to skip over it. But I'm braver than most, so I'm going to tell you what I think it means. But don't quote me, because it could be wrong. So, how many... Uh, here, play a little word game. What's the first word? Oh, yeah. As fresh as the what? A daisy. a daisy. Wrong answer. But that's a good one. The dew. The morning fresh as a morning dew. It's a thing that is still used, and it's really a phrase that talks about something new, something fresh, something that is of great value. I mean, when you get up in the morning after a drought or something, and you see dew on the grass, and the sun's coming up, I mean, it's, you know, out of the womb of the morning, in the dew of his youth, and when you put all that together in some rough way, you have this coming of the Messiah that's going to be a fresh new thing. Now, we, we have it here at the gathering place. I guess our theme verse is in Malachi 4.2, and I'll read part of it to you. It says, but... To you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. S-U-N is what it's spelled, Son. That's why we have it on our logo, this Son. This Son of Righteousness is coming. So there's a day coming when it's going to be a new thing. The new Son. The new... Now you could reword the verse maybe to read like this. This would be the KJR version. That's my. Those are my initials. But uh, the real power of God will be seen when someone, new, fresh, young, and strong, is coming forth in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, and men will spontaneously run to him. Now that, that's something that it could mean, and it's kind of what I extracted from all the people that I read about that verse. Anyway... All this to say in David's worship in this psalm is that there's a Messiah out there 
who's coming. The Lord God Almighty Jehovah is talking to this Messiah that we know to be the Christ, the Lord Jesus. So you get to verse 4. The Lord has sworn and he will not relent. In other words, the everlasting one has made and taken an oath and he's not changing his mind. And the next thing he says is that there's a new priesthood in town and it will be established after the older order of Melchizedek. His name means righteousness and he was the king of Salem, which means peace, righteousness and peace. And there is no peace unless there's righteousness to rule. That's just how it works. Does that fit the pattern? Of course it does. But the real important thing that David is saying right here, <clears throat> and I think those of us who have been in Hebrews for the last five years, or however long we've been in Hebrews, maybe it's just been a year, but there's like four chapters, or three anyway, dedicated to Melchizedek. But the, here's the central point. The Levitical priesthood is done. That's what David is saying. When the new guy shows up, young, fresh, strong, and brave, the old Lev Levitical Levi priesthood thing is done. Over. And there isn't a Pharisee on the planet that shouldn't have understood that there's a new program coming. When the Messiah shows up, there will no longer be a need for the Levites in the temple. That's what David is saying. Now, we get the last three verses real quick here. It says, The Lord is at the right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath, judge nations, dead bodies everywhere, take care of the heads of country. We'd kind of like to see some of that today, wouldn't we? And shall drink by the brook, by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up his head. This really hasn't happened yet. Messiah has not returned to judge the nations. That's still coming. It's amazing, isn't it? You have all this in this one little verse. Yet, when he stooped to drink, when the Lord God Almighty came down from heaven's glory and descended, took on flesh, and became a God-man on earth, he drank of the water. Oh, every man that thirst, you know. John 7. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. And by the power of his own spirit, he offered himself as a sacrifice to pay for sin. And in his own power, he raised himself from the dead. I take my life, I lay it down, I raise it up. That's, those are all things that Jesus said. And he stooped by the brook and he drank. He took part of the Spirit of God because he is God. And he was raised up again and lifted up his head. And it says so in Colossians that he is the head of the church, that he is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and on and on it goes in the New Testament. That this one who stooped down to drink for our sake, do you, okay guys, do you have the ability to drink of the cup that I drink? Didn't he ask him that? I know this wine, not water, but nonetheless, the Lord Jesus came and he took part in this planet and this whole thing and was raised up again. He is the ever-living one. So now we get to the end of the story. We'll wrap this up real quick. What's the next verse, Bryce? Jesus has been ministering for three years. All right. 
And he sits down overlooking the Temple Hill. It's shortly before he's arrested. He's having the last discourse with the disciples. And they're talking about the temple being torn down and rebuilt in three days. What was he talking about? His own body. But I'm going to build a house. He will build a house. And Jesus is talking about this house being torn down and rebuilt. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, Pharisees happen to tune in. And by the way, guys, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? And he's waiting for a little bit. And they finally say, well, it's David's son. Huh. Well, how then, if he's David's son, how then does David in the Spirit, because they believe that David was a prophet, prophesying in the Holy Spirit, how then does David in the Spirit call him Lord Jehovah? All caps. When he said, and he quotes Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make enemies your footstool. If David then called him Lord God Almighty Jehovah ever living one, how is he David's son? You know what they answered? According to the text? <laughs> Nothing. Now, do you know why they didn't say anything? We just covered the whole Bible in about 20 minutes, and I know it's probably boring for some. <laughs> but the whole Bible in 20 minutes. And if, if we took weeks and weeks, which could be done in this church, to, <laughs> to study... To study these passages we just alluded to briefly tonight, what we're looking at is God and the Son and the Messiah and all this stuff, you know, and it's just totally fascinating. How many of the Pharisees do you think were familiar with Chronicles 17, Psalm 110? And we didn't even touch Psalm 18. Go home and read that one. Do you see what I'm getting at? We're talking about the entire story of God's dealings with man, that he's sending forth his son. And they said God didn't have a son. Oh, yeah, he did. It says so in the Old Testament. So many things in these three passages. The reason they didn't say anything is because they knew the minute they did, they were going to have the discussion of their lives that their ministry as Levitical priests and Pharisees and whatever else was over because the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David, was standing right in front of them. Even in the, in the uh, trial, the high priest says, Are you the Son of God? Are you the Son of Man? He says, Yeah. And the high priest tore his garments. Do you know what that means? Exactly. High priest was never to tear his garment. But when he tore his garment, it was over. The Levitical priesthood ended when the high priest tore his garment in front of the one who just confessed that he was Messiah. Done. And they had 40 years to figure that out. And then the temple was torn down. Boom. It all fits together. There's a huge pattern. 
And if you're not convinced yet that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Son of Man, then we need to study a little more, that's all. So, what's going to happen, what's going to happen in the near future is that this psalm will be fulfilled in its entirety. In the meantime, for a church, you and I, in this era, somewhere living in Psalm 110, somewhere between him coming again and where he's been, and right here is where we live. We have this message in earthen vessels. And uh, we need to take like Gideon, smash the vessel, hold the light up, surrender ourselves to Christ and go forward with the gospel message.
king that loves each and every one of us is seated in the heavenlies right now at the right hand of God. And he says, you're as good as there with me right now, says so in Ephesians, seated with Christ in heaven. Lord, we just ask your blessing as we go that we might ponder these things much bigger than we are, but you know us like you knew David. We're no better than he was, and yet you loved us, and we thank you for that. Help us to walk free, walk forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.